Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, let's go over tonight to the book of Isaiah. And I want to continue with this that we have been on, uh, entitled Anointed for Authority. Anointed for Authority. And uh, throughout this series, uh, we just keep digging into this. And the Lord is talking to us about... uh, Of course, he's talked to us about qualifications for authority. And if you'll remember, the qualifications for authority is to be a human being born in the earth. Uh, We've talked about the authority of our words. We've talked about uh, the dominion that's been given. Uh, But we also, you know, there's things we have to touch on. We have to touch on things that can hinder our authority. And and we're not going to talk about this tonight, but for instance... You know, God gave us the power of words. And uh, he gave the power of words primarily to exercise authority and to exercise dominion. But the key to that is that you've got to believe that everything you say comes to pass. Uh, Charles Capps called it crooked speech. And he said, you can't expect to speak crooked speech and say things you don't mean and then use your words to exercise dominion when... You don't believe what you're saying. See, you can't, just, you can't just start believing what you're saying. If you're consistently day in and day out saying things you don't mean, then your spirit doesn't know what you mean and what you don't mean. And so then when there's something that comes along that you need to exercise dominion over and authority over, your words don't carry that dominion and authority because your spirit doesn't know if you mean it or not. Amen. And so the, the key is, is that you have to believe everything that you say will come to pass. For anything that you say to come to pass. Yes. Now that's not what we're teaching on tonight, but that's an element of authority. And if, if you're constantly using crooked speech, amen. You know, it's 95 degrees and you come in and say, Whoo boy, isn't it cold out there? People say, well, I'm just joking. But it's words. Those are words. Your spirit doesn't know if you're joking or not. And and the Bible says that what you do is then you deceive your heart. And when you deceive your heart, it's hard then to use your words with a deceived heart. And so you watch everything you say. That's why the Bible says, above all, keep, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it proceed the issues of life. All right? And, and uh, so there's other things as well, because it's not enough to know we have authority. We have to know how to walk in authority. And we have to know what will prevent the operation of our authority. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, uh, we'll start in verse 12. And... Uh, I don't know that we'll get through all this tonight. I don't know that the goal is ever to get through it all. It's just to get to a place where we can pause amicably. Uh, (laughs) But Isaiah 14 and verse 12, of course, this is the 
uh, Isaiah's account of uh, Lucifer uh, before, the, before his fall and what caused his fall. And he said in verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the, the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now notice the phrases here. He says, uh, how are you fallen? You're cut down. You're brought down to hell. Now I emphasize that because it's, it's evident that Lucifer once possessed a great position that he lost. And it was a position of height and it was a position of magnitude. All right, It was, it was a position of exaltation. And notice it says here that he was fallen, cut down, and brought down. And so it's evident that he once possessed a great position that he lost. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 28. Now my, my purpose here tonight is not to teach on the pre-Adamite world and, and the uh, anti-chaotic age and all these different things, uh, although uh, we may touch on that. Uh, my purpose here is to show this, this element of what hinders authority. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, in this chapter, we see something that's in biblical interpretation called the law of double mention, all right, or double reference. Because in chapter 28 here, verse 1, or verse 2, we see that he said, The Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. Well, the prince of Tyrus is an actual man. He's an actual man. But then here in verse 11, verse 12, he says, Take up a lamentation up, up on the king of Tyrus. Well, the king of Tyrus is a different individual. And we can see why. Notice, saying to him, Thus saith the Lord God, you seal up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. So that wasn't a man. That wasn't a natural man. All right? He's, he's dealing with Lucifer. And he said, you were in the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of your tabrays. And of your pipes were prepared in you in the day that you were created. You are the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in, the day that, in, in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the multitude of your merchandise they have filled the midst of you with violence and you have sinned. Therefore, I'll cast you as profane out of the mountain of God, and I'll destroy you, covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Notice, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I will cast you to the ground. I'll lay you before kings that they may behold you. So notice that the word says concerning Lucifer that he was the anointed cherub that covereth and that he was on the holy mountain of God. All right? Now, uh, 
The word covereth in Hebrew means to entwine, to fence in, to protect, defend, or hedge in. So we see very plainly that he had the responsibility of protecting and ruling over the mountain of God. Now some believe that this was a literal mountain and that it was uh, that this mountain was on earth that it was in Eden and Lucifer had dominion over it to rule for God. Now if 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 you look at it in the Hebrew that that phrase there mountain of God is always used of a literal mountain throughout the Old Testament it always refers to a literal mountain. But the point is is when you look at and, and you study this he said I will ascend up I will put my throne above the stars I will go up. So evidently he was ruling from a position lower than heaven, lower than the clouds. All right? When we talk about uh, uh, Lucifer uh, uh, having the the authority and the dominion over this earth at one time, it was not the earth that we see created in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. It was a pre-Adamite world. It was a world before that he had power and dominion and authority over. But the point is, is to see that he had this position of guarding that mountain, protecting that mountain, and ruling that mountain under God's rule. Amen. So there's no question concerning the authority or the position or the power that Lucifer possessed. No question. All right. The Bible calls him day star, calls him son of the morning. It says he was the anointed cherub that covered. It said you were perfect in beauty and in all your ways. And God said, I made you that way. Amen. So so it's evident. It's evident that he had great power and great authority. There are people that will say he was one of the three archangels. Well, you really don't see that in the Bible. You really don't see three archangels. I mean, you see Gabriel emphasized. You see Michael emphasized. But you really don't see where the Bible ever says there were three main angels and they governed everything. Now, if you believe that, that's fine. But here's here's the point to see is that Lucifer had this position and it carried great weight and great authority. He had so much authority and so much dominion and so much ability to convince that he convinced a third of the angels to follow him in his rebellion. Now, there's only maybe a billion, billion angels, a hundred million, million angels. That's what we can deduce from the Word of God. And so I don't know how much a third of that is, but he convinced a third of them to leave with him. Now, notice something. In verse 15, it says, You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Notice, until iniquity was found in his heart. Now, iniquity is simply this, moral evil, perverseness, unrighteousness, or wickedness. So there was a perversion that came, all right? Iniquity was found in his heart. Well, what was this moral evil, this perverseness, this wickedness? Notice verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You've corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I'll cast you to the ground. I'll lay you before kings that they may behold you. So pride was his undoing. And, and you know, that's something that we hear over the years. But think about this. Go back to what we said earlier. He was ruling 
and reigning on the mountain of God. He was protecting and covering that place. And God created him to do that. And yet he began to think so much of himself that his pride, remember, caused him to be fallen, cut down, and brought down to hell because of his pride. Amen. It says he corrupted his wisdom. Now, if you remember, the Bible says, notice, uh, Verse 12, you seal up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Perfect in beauty, full of wisdom. Amen. See, a lot of times I, I hear people, and, and you know, I make statements about the enemy. You know, he's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything. He's not everywhere at once. But there is a satanic cunning about him that he retained. It's perverted. It's, it's soiled. It's not perfect. But there's a satanic cunning and wisdom that he retained from this time. And he uses that against the people of God. He doesn't have to use it so much against the world. He uses it against the people of God. People that are blind, it doesn't take much wisdom to, to deceive them. Amen. Now, notice, he corrupted, he spoiled, he ruined, he perverted. I like this. He wasted his wisdom. He wasted it. On what? Pride. And he began to what? Focus on himself. Oh, my. Tell your neighbor, whatever you do. Don't put your focus on you. Amen. I'm not talking about not taking care of yourself and not caring, you know, uh, 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 self-care. He began to focus on himself and he began to desire the glory that belonged to God alone. And he desired the glory because he thought he deserved it. Look at me. I'm so beautiful. I'm so perfect. If anybody should be God, it should be me. Right? And then he launched his rebellion against God. Well, we know that didn't last very long. Some theologians say the reason why the earth is tilted at a, on, on its axle, it, on its axis is because God cast Lucifer out of heaven so fast and hard that when he hit the earth, he tilted it. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but sure sounds good. Amen. Notice in Genesis chapter 3. Now we're taking some time to, 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 to set the table. Is that all right? Genesis chapter 3. I'm like the Word of God. I give you good doctrine. Amen. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now hang on right there. We talk and we say the serpent was Lucifer, was Satan. I believe that. I believe that's absolutely right. But what's it say about him? He was more subtle than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now why? He retained that subtlety. He retained a part of that wisdom. I don't know how long he studied Adam and Eve, but he studied long enough to 
to find something that he figured he could, he could uh, uh, worm his way in and use. Amen. And he said to the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now notice, he started with questioning what God had commanded. Has God said? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows, watch this, that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Do you remember one of the statements he made? I will be like the Most High. He began to appeal to her pride. If you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. That was his issue. I want to be like God. I will be like the Most High. Eve began to look at that tree as she never had. And here's why. She started looking at it through the influence of pride. Notice what it says. When the woman saw the tree was good for food. She had never thought the tree was good for food before. See, it's good for food for who? Her. Good for me. Good for me. That tree would be good for me. I I should be able to eat of that tree. That tree's good for me. Oh, hallelujah. Good good for food. Pleasant to the eyes. That word, when it says pleasant, it means when she saw that it was a desire. She had never desired it before. Think about that. We don't know how long they were in the garden before the the serpent, the devil tempted them. Ever how long it was. Could could have been a a week, a day, a thousand years, ten thousand years. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that we'll ever know until we get to heaven. But here's the point. From what the word means, they never desired that tree until the enemy pointed out that if you take part of that tree, you'll be like God. And it became a desire. And notice, a tree to be desired to make one wise. Up until that point, the knowledge that God had given them was enough. But when pride entered in, what God said was no longer enough, and now it's what I want. It's what I desire. Amen. Look what this can do for you. You can be like God. Well, she then saw the tree as something to be desired. Evidently, she would not done that before. Look what this tree can do for me. It's good for me. It can make me wise. Satan knew by experience if he could get them into pride, he could rob them of their dominion and authority. I got to get you thinking. He knew he had to get them thinking about me. Authority is not about you. It's about the plan of God. God gave Adam and Eve authority and dominion to carry out his plan in the earth. 
God gives each one of us authority and dominion to accomplish His goals in the earth, His goals in our life. God gives you the authority and dominion to speak to the mountain so you can have the life that He wants you to have. It's, it's not about using words of authority and dominion just to get things or just to get my way. It's about using authority and dominion to do what? To exercise our authority to, to, to occupy the earth, to enforce the defeat of hell in the earth. Authority, Jesus said, the purpose for authority was so that we could have the keys of the kingdom of heaven and ensure that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Do, do, do you see this? And so he knew this. If I can get them into pride, I can rob them of their dominion and their authority. In 1 John 2, 1 John chapter 2. Verse 16, the Apostle John says, well, let's start in verse 15, get our context. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because here's all that is in the world. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The pride of life. That word pride of life there. That, that word, it means boastfulness or boastful pride. And it's only used twice in the entire Bible. Here and in James 4.16. And in James 4.16, James said, But now you rejoice in your boastings. And he said, All such rejoicing is evil. You rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. So, so notice, he said, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Well, that's the very thing he tempted Eve, Eve with. The lust of the eyes, the tree looks good. The lust of the flesh, it's good for food. The pride of life, I'll be like God. He, he, he tempted her with these three things. And John says, or John says, notice, he says that that is boasting. That's, that's prideful. All right? In Luke chapter 4. Oh, hallelujah. I'm moving as quick as I can. Luke 4 and verse 1. This is, this is so important. And Jesus, verse 1, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said to him, If you be the Son of God, now notice that phrase, If you be the Son of God. Has God said, You shall not eat of the tree? Isn't it interesting that he starts both of these temptations with a question? If you're the Son of God, has God said? Command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now very often when, when this is taught and ministered on, 
It's Jesus directed him back to the Word, and he did, and, and that's right. But what was the devil trying to get him to do? What was he trying to get him to get over into? He was trying to get Jesus to boast in who he was. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be made into bread. If you are. Now think about that. Think about that. How, how, would, how, would, that, how would that affect somebody who is prideful? What do you mean if? I'll show you. Zap! And right there he would have lost. Because he inter- pride always has to prove something. Amen. Come on, you, you remember growing up and somebody would dare you to do something? Now, I don't know about you. I can talk for me. Somebody would dare you to do something? Well, you, listen, you, you can't let a dare go unchallenged. <laughs> Amen. And if they double-dog dared you, you sure can't let what I'll show you. I don't care if that bridge is 100 feet over the river. I'm going to jump off of it. Or whatever it is. I can do it. Amen. Because I got something to prove. If you're the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. If you are. If you are, pride's always trying to prove something. Had Jesus been prideful, he would have said, I'll prove I'm the Son of God. I'll show you I'm the Son of God. Who are you tempting me? I'll show you. Jesus had nothing to prove. Jesus came into the earth knowing who he was. In the book of Luke chapter 4, right here, we see that. It says he went into the synagogue and when on that special day, it says that there was handed to him the, the book of the prophet Isaiah. And it says, when he had found the place, he found it. He found himself in the scripture. When you find yourself in the scripture, when you realize that in Christ you have no identity of your own. And that everything about you is swallowed up in the identity of Christ. Then there's no room for pride. Because all that I am is Him, and all that He is is Him, and all of Him is in me, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Amen. That, does, that doesn't mean that, that, that you don't take care of yourself or that you have a bad view of yourself. It means you realize that in Christ I have no identity of my own. I'm completely swallowed up in Him. That's why when you realize who you are in Christ, you cannot ever again look at yourself as a black man, black woman, white man, white woman, Hispanic man, Hispanic woman. You are a believer. You are the redeemed. You have become what God said you were. He said there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. He said all of that is done away with in Christ and Christ is all. 
So you can't be prideful in where you came from, who you are, what you've accomplished, because that's all swallowed up in Christ. And that's why Paul could say all of these things, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, touching the law of Pharisee, touching the law blameless, educated under Gamaliel. I had it all. He said, I count all those things, but refuse that I might win Christ. All of that doesn't mean anything because in Christ, I have no identity of my own. Jesus had no identity of his own. He said over and over again, I came to do your will. The the Father does the works through me. Right? Hallelujah. Remember when Herod came to him? And, and, and sent messengers, and they said, Herod wants to see you. He said, you tell that fox, Herod, that I'm going to work miracles today and tomorrow, and he can do whatever he wants to do. But if Jesus had been full of himself, if Jesus had been prideful, that would have been the great audience to go and perform a miracle. But instead of that, he calls the man a fox and says, I'm out here doing the works of the Father. If he wants to see a miracle, he needs to come out here and see it. But I'm not going to take my time and go try to prove something. I've said for years. I I, I remember one time a guy uh, began to take a newspaper ad out about my ministry, our ministry. And uh, he didn't didn't like uh, the word of faith. And so uh, he was calling me a false prophet. And he was taking out a quarter-page newspaper ad every week. Every week. And, and, and I had a lady in the church, and she came in with that newspaper one time. And she put it on my desk. She said, what are you going to do about that? I said, nothing. She said, why not? I said, I don't respond to what people say about me, good or bad. I'm nothing to prove. Yeah, but people are going to believe that. People are going to believe what they want to believe anyway. They're going to believe it if I say it isn't true. Amen. When you try to defend yourself, (laughs) I got to be cautious here. When you try to defend yourself, you got to ascertain why are you defending yourself. Why does it matter what they think? Jesus never did that. They looked at him and said, you got a devil. They looked at God in the flesh and said, you have a devil. Right? If he'd have had any pride about him, that'd have been it. Roasty, toasty Pharisees. You said God had a devil. (laughs) Amen. Those very people that rejected him, he wept over them. Coming into Jerusalem, it says he wept and cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you're missing your day of visitation. I'm here. I'm God in the flesh. The Messiah is here and you're missing it. Oh, glory. He had nothing to prove. Why? Because to Jesus, it wasn't about him. It was about the mission. The Son of Man came into the earth to seek and save that which was lost. Why does your master eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus said, the sick need a physician, not the well. The Son of Man came into the earth to seek and save that which was lost. 
Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to your house today. And, and it says as they were going that people grumbled and complained because he was going to the house of one that was a sinner. But Jesus said, my mission is to come and seek and save that which was lost. He is, he is talking about God being his father, and yet he's breaking every tradition that every Jewish person ever adhered to. He's breaking all that tradition, and it didn't bother him that they called him a sinner, that they called him a friend of publicans. They called him a glutton and a wine-bibber. Remember that? He's, he, he told him, he said, John didn't eat or drink. And you called him ugly names. And now here I am, and you call me a glutton and a wine-bibber. But he never took retribution. Now, we know that, and we say, that's because Jesus was so compassionate and loved everybody. It was because Jesus had a complete absence of pride. It didn't matter to him. He settled that before time ever was. This is what you're going to want me to do. Sacrifice and burnt offering is not what you want. You've prepared a body for me. Here I am. Send me. Amen. Now notice this. See, when, when, when you don't care who gets the credit, you'll succeed. I tell my staff that all the time. When we don't care who gets the credit, we'll succeed. It, when it matters to a person that people recognize them, they'll miss it. Amen. I, I used to know a minister. He was an older minister. And, and I, I, listen, I'm big on honor and respect. But, you know, nobody's supposed to honor you and respect you just because you say they should. Right? Isn't that right? You know, if I want my wife to honor and respect me, I have to do something worthy of honor and respect. If I want my kids to respect me, I have to be respectful. I have to be honorable. Well, what, what it always came back to was there was an element of pride there. I want people to pay attention to me. I want people to listen to me. I want people to honor me. For what purpose? For what reason? To make me feel better. Amen. Notice Isaiah 53. This, this is one of the issues that hinder authority. And the issue with pride is it's so subtle because it can seem so right. To want to defend myself, to want to to uh, uh, to want to set the record straight, right? But but I, but I have to ask myself, why am I wanting to do that? Amen. Isaiah fifty three verse one. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He, the Lord, will grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The word comeliness means magnificence, ornament, or splendor. So there was no magnificence about Jesus. No splendor, no ornament about him. 
Now, anybody that had any spiritual perception could see there was something different about him. Remember Nicodemus? He said, uh, Master, we know you're a teacher sent from God because nobody can do the things you do if God wasn't with him. But this is maybe obvious, but Jesus didn't walk around with a halo over his head. Right? He didn't walk around glowing. Why? Because there was nothing about his person that would draw attention to himself. If, if, if you would have seen Jesus before the age of 30 years of age, he would have just, you would have thought he was just another man. People say, how do you know that? Because it's obvious from the Bible. There was nothing about him that made people look and go, boy, he's special. Yeah, but he was the son of God. That's right. But there was such an absence of pride and such a humility in Jesus that the only thing that mattered was doing what the Father wanted him to do. Glory to God. Amen. And Isaiah said there was no magnificence. There was no ornament. There was no splendor. Now, I know when we start talking about those things, you know, people kind of, they, they hearken back to the movies and, and they, oh, you know, because everywhere Jesus walked, you know, a choir was singing, oh, I mean, right? Every, everywhere he went, he floated. He spoke in, in the king's English. No, he didn't. He spoke Aramaic. And, and, and before, before he was anointed in his ministry, he worked with his father, his natural, earthly father, in a carpenter shop and took care of his family and took care of his family after he was anointed. What set Jesus apart after the 30-year, 30, 30 30th birthday was the anointing of God on his life. It wasn't just because he was special. Jesus was special. He was the divine son of God. But he was the divine son of God from the time of his birth to his 30th birthday. And yet he did not one miracle. He did nothing magnificent. He did nothing supernatural because he was not anointed to do it. And Jesus knew without the Father, without the Father, I can do nothing. All the glory went back to the Father. Amen. And, and, and that's why Jesus could say, the prince of this world's coming and he has nothing in me. He can't get a hook in me. Amen. And, and Lord, help me say this. I've only got about 10 minutes. That's, that's, folks, family, that's why you got to watch things like hurt feelings, chips on your shoulder. Why are your feelings hurt? Why did it matter what they said? Amen. Because the enemy, the, the Bible says, the enemy roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He looks for when those doors are open. And whatever, and, and hurt feelings and things like that are not the only things. But there's a reason it mattered to me what they said. I've asked people before, they said, well, what they said about me hurt me. I said, well, was it true? Well, no, it wasn't true. Then why did it matter? If it wasn't true, why did it matter? 
I've had people come to church and tell me basically that I'm the next thing, I'm the next best thing to Jesus Christ. Oh, I've never heard anybody preach like you. Oh, my Lord, you expound on those scriptures. Well, that's wonderful, but you, you, you can't pay attention to that because I've had the same people six weeks later say I'm the devil's cousin. <laughs> I mean, not in those exact words. Right? I, I, you always appreciate when somebody says, I appreciate your ministry. I appreciate what you're doing. But you realize something, that, that if it wasn't for the anointing of God and the call of God on your life, there, there would be no way to do what you're doing because I don't have the ability to do it in myself. Amen. Well, if we could bottle this stuff and sell it, it would be great. But, but, but it's, it's God's anointing. It's God's calling. It's God's purpose on our life and we get to participate in it and so when somebody says you know what you preach it it helped me it changed my life it blessed me praise God thank God for that thank God that I'm your pastor and you honor me and appreciate me but I understand something that he set certain in the church he gave apostles prophets evangelists and pastors and teachers for a mission for a reason to perfect his church to edify his body to raise them up and have them do what they want to do what he wants them to do. Amen. Woo. Notice, we'll, we'll go through these verses as quick as we can. Matthew 9. Is this all right? Matthew 9 and verse 27. When Jesus departed, two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. When he's come to the house, the blind men came. Jesus said, believe you that I'm able to do this? They said, yes. He touched their eyes and said, according to the, your faith, be it unto you. Their eyes were open, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, see that no man know it. How are you going to go home, and you left that morning blind, and you get home, and nobody's going to know? You're going to act blind? But you can, no. <laughs> no. Here, here's what he's saying. This is so important. Throughout the Old Testament, and you can study it for yourself, it was, it was taught. If you read the Old Testament, you never see any blind person healed. You see healings, no blind people healed. Why? That was reserved for the Messiah. It was one of the signs of the Messiah. He will open Blinded eyes. And Jesus opens blind eyes here. I'm the Messiah. If you knew the history, you knew the Torah, you knew the law, you would know this is the Messiah. And he said, see that nobody knows this. Not the healing. Don't go out and proclaim to everybody that I'm the Messiah. I'll show you this from the scripture in just a moment. Why would that matter? Because that's bringing attention to him. Remember when he healed the blind man in the book of John? What did he call the work of healing that man? The work of the Father. Right? Well, who was born blind? This, who, was, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither hath sinned. But the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God is going to be revealed in him. While it is days, while it is day, I must work the works of him that sent me. Hallelujah. Whose works were they? The Father's works. 
Whose son was he? The father's son. Why did the Messiah come into the earth? To seek and save that which was lost. So the most important thing to Jesus and the Father was not the healings, not the miracles, not the astounding wonderment. It was to seek and to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sent his son to seek and save the lost. The lost sheep of the house of Israel rejected him and that grace, that magnificent love flowed over and came onto us and the same God that sent Jesus to the lost sheep of the house of Israel made him a blessing to the entire world. <sighs> Glory to God. So he said, don't tell anybody. Then Matthew 16. This is a familiar verse. Matthew 16 and 20. He just told them, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Peter has just said, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Christos. Amen. And notice what he said in verse 20. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Why did he do that? Don't tell anybody I'm the Christ. Well, they knew it. Why not tell it? He's drawing attention to himself. That's so important. Amen. Jesus, Jesus did not need to make much of himself because he made much of the Father. And if, when you make much of God, God makes much of you. Them that honor me, I will honor. Right? Amen. Now, uh, uh, Mark 5, Mark chapter 5. I got two verses after this. If I get this close, we might as well cross the finish line. (laughs) Verse 41. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha cumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto you, arise. And straightway the damsel rose, walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given to her to eat. Now just read the Bible and read it (laughs) with a a right mind. And you know he's not saying, don't tell anybody she's alive. She's going to go outside. Mom and dad know she's alive. Grandma and grandpa are going to know she's alive. There's something he said, see that no man knows it. Amen. Something happened in that room. Something was said that proved he was the son of God. I heard one man teach on this, and and I'm careful with this because I'm not a Hebrew scholar and I don't claim to be. But uh, he uses this word, talitha kumai, and the talitha uh, 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 the, the, that, that is basically interpreted uh, a little girl under, under the tallit or under the, the blanket, all right? I, I, I saw one man, he, he gave an explanation of this and it made so much spiritual sense to me. He said, if you study this and you look at the Hebraic idioms that are involved here, or Greek idioms that are involved here, that what Jesus said was little girl under the tallit, this is God speaking, get up. Now, whether you believe that or not is irrelevant. But here's the point. He said something that he told him not to tell anybody. 
And, and this was not the first time he had raised the dead. Jesus raised the dead two other times we see in very public places. He raised Lazarus from the dead and he raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. And he never said, don't tell anybody. Because there's something he said here. Now my point that I'm making is why would, why would he say something like that if he did? All right? And then tell people, don't tell anybody. Because I'm not drawing attention to myself. If Jesus would have gotten over into pride, he would have sabotaged the mission the Father sent him on. Because the thing that got Adam and Eve, part of the thing that got them was that tree's good for me. It's good for me to taste. It's good for me. It'll make me like God. It was all about me, 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 me. And Jesus was all about the Father, the Father, the Father. And when everything in our life becomes about the Father and what the Father wants and what He desires out of my life, and it doesn't matter anymore what anybody thinks or says. Amen. Do you see that? Hallelujah. Notice Matthew chapter 12. This is a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Matthew 12 and 15. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known. Well, that word multitude there is an innumerable amount of people. They could not be numbered. And notice it says he healed them all, but then he charged him them that they should not make him known. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, My servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. He will show judgment to the Gentiles. Notice, he will not strive, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will he not break. A smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment into victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Here's the key. No man will hear his voice in the streets. Jesus never brought attention to himself. This is something sometimes people overlook. The Bible says that John's disciples came to him one day and said, uh, Master, Rabbi, they said, the one that you talked to yesterday and spoke to uh, uh, yesterday, behold, he's baptizing. And what's it say in parentheses? It says, although his disciples baptized, Jesus didn't baptize any. Jesus didn't baptize any. Why is that important? No attention was brought to him. What did John say right after those few verses? They, they, they were saying, what John's disciples were saying was this. Hey, he's taking your ministry away. Look, he's baptizing. People are going to him. What John say? He must increase and I must decrease. Is that right? Now, John got offended in prison. But boy, he got it right there. If you want to do more for God, you got to decrease, and He has to increase. If I want more of God in my life, I have to decrease, and He has to increase. God has to become all in all. Authority is something God gave us to carry out the plan of God in the earth. 
The main reason for authority is so that the church can carry out the plan of God in the earth. Amen. Now, one last verse. Matthew 11. Whew. I believe you're receiving this tonight. You know, the people that I know in my life that have been the most mightily used by God are the most humble people I know. And I don't mean humble in the sense that they don't think anything of themselves. You, know, you have to have a good self-image. You, you have to be confident in who you are. But there's confidence in who you are, and then there's arrogance about who you are. And once it gets over into arrogance, the Bible says destruction's coming. Pride before destruction and humility before honor. Right? Amen. And, and, and the people that I know that I respect the most, if you try to honor them too much, it makes them uncomfortable. They appreciate the honor, but it makes them uncomfortable. Amen. One of the hardest things, you know, uh, 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 every, every, every so often the Lord laid on some people in the ministry to have a double honor offering for us. And I appreciate that. The Bible says those that rule well are worthy of double honor. And I understand that that's in the word. I had to really work to get comfortable with that. Because I believe, I believe the most important office in the local church is the pastor. But it's still a gift that God gave me. It's still a job that he gave me. It's, 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 you're his sheep. I'm the under-shepherd. You, you see what I'm saying? And, and, and if you ever get that out of whack, then there's going to be a problem. So my point is, is so I had to learn, I had to learn to sit while that double honor offering is being taken and be okay with it, be comfortable with it. Because it's not about me. It's about people appreciating the office that God has placed in the church. Amen. But, 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 but if you watch, I'm up real quick after that offering. Okay, let's get into the Word. Because I don't want too much of the focus on me. Amen. Did you see what I'm saying? Because I'm anointed by God for God's people to do God's work. What I have to do with it? Nothing but saying, here I am, send me. Amen. And, and if you ever get thinking too much of yourself, remember God used a donkey and a rooster to preach. So, <laughs> Hallelujah. Mark, Matthew 11, verse 29. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. In other words, learn this of me. What do we need to learn? I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. I found this interesting, that this word meek is only used once in the Bible. The entire Bible. Only used once. And it's used in reference to Jesus. And you know what the simple meaning of that word is? Humble. That's all it means. I say all it means. It's one of the most, the most outstanding characteristic of Jesus and his ministry was not power. It was not miracles. It was humility. It was humility. There are occasions in the four gospels when the people took him and tried to make him king. And it says he knew they would try to take him by force and make him king and he escaped. 
You know, a prideful person would say, I can really affect a change. If, if they put me in politics, I could really affect a change. Jesus knew the only way he could affect a change and affect it permanently was to fulfill the will of the Father, to fulfill the plan of God and go to the cross and humble himself and become obedient unto death so that he could finish the work. Jesus said, this is what I want you to learn of me. I'm humble. Amen. I'm humble. So the most outstanding characteristic of Jesus was his humility. And I'll end with this. He qualified to regain the authority mankind had given away because of his humility. Pride took it away. Humility regained it. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, in conclusion, the next time the enemy or whatever tries to make you the forefront, make you the focus, and, and, and what about me, and why are they doing this to me? Re re remember something. That, that, that focus on self, if you're not careful, it'll get distorted. Again, that's not, you don't run around saying, I'm nothing. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're the beloved of God. You're, you're the household of God. All right? We, 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 are, we are people of God. But we realize, we realize who gave us everything we have, who blessed us with everything we have. Amen. The Father.